0: week's episode, we're going to do another in our beginner series where we're going to do a deep dive in what it takes to brew a lager. In our previous beginner series episodes, we've talked about all the way up to the process of going all grain, and now you're a little more advanced. So let's make lagers on home DIY. Welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing, gadgets, contraptions, and parts. This podcast covers it all. On this week's show, we're going to do another in our beginner series where we're going to do a really cool little deep dive where we're going to just say, hey, I now know how to make all-grain beer, but I want to make lagers, so what do I need to do to make a lager? So we're going to do a deep dive into that. So stick around a little bit after these announcements and we'll get into that portion of the show. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you that this show can come to you week after week. I'd like to thank some of our new patrons. First of all, I want to thank Dave Irway. Thank you so much for becoming one of our newest patrons. I also would like to thank Graham Waller as well. As you know, we, we took last week off. And I, I was going to post an episode, like a rerun, and uh, I took a, I took a road trip. I brought my laptop with me. I forgot my hard drive that has all of my old episodes backed up in the correct format to post them to my podcast host. So, yeah, we, we just didn't have an episode last week, and I apologize for that. But, you know, I I I, I enjoyed the time with the family on the road. So that was awesome. And I also got my Moderna COVID-19 shot. I got shot number one today and uh, feeling fine. Little, little soreness on the arm and that's about it. I don't know. And you know, it was pretty uneventful. Went right in. They gave me a shot. I waited around for 15 minutes, read my phone and, uh, been cranking like it's a normal day ever since. So, Let's get those COVID-19 shots. Let's get those vaccinations out and let's get them done. Let's get the world back to normal. I can't wait until we are as close to normal as we possibly can be in this pandemic and excited to be able to travel again. I I did get the email that the homebrew con has been converted to digital again i was really looking forward to hopefully being vaccinated in time and being able to go to san diego just doesn't look like california is going to be ready by june and so that's really sad also great american beer festival isn't going to be a in-person festival until next year so 2022 and i'm excited about going to that i i do go to great great american beer festival every year it's here in denver and and i really missed great american beer festival as well so it's, let's get vaccinated and get back to beer festivals, get back to being able to socialize with our friends and doing those things. So those are all things that I'm excited about. Now let's get back into announcements where, you know, thank you so much for our supporters and thank you so much, Graham. And thank you, so much dave also i'd like to thank a couple of supporters we have over at coffee Ko-fi, that's ko ficom forward slash homebrewing diy uh, we have a couple new supporters there we have roly thank you so much for your one-time support and gabe wise you've you've given support before And thank you so much for doing so again. Hey, one-time supports also is appreciated as much. And usually when I get one-time support, I just shoot you a message. Hey, give me your address. I'd love to send you some stickers. So at least I I try to say thank you in, in the small ways that I can. Coffee doesn't really support custom feeds very well. I was hoping it did just not the same as kind of how Patreon does, but I mean, a dollar a month gets you ad free episodes it is very inexpensive. It, I mean, what can you buy for a dollar anymore? And you get ad free homebrewing DIY, and you get those episodes as soon as they come out. I upload them straight to Patreon without ads. So if you want to go ad free, patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. Another way to support the show is to head on over to podchaser.com or Apple Podcasts, write us a review. Just those reviews help others find the show you can also head on over to our website homebrewingdiy.beer and you can use our sponsor banners i'm excited starting next week we're going to have a new sponsor so i'm pretty excited about that and and so we'll have some new sponsor banners up there and uh welcome to our new sponsor and i'm gonna leave you a little in suspense because i'm more excited than you are probably but uh you know support our sponsors by using those banners. It lets them know that we sent you and they in turn, they support the show. So, you know, adventures in homebrewing, we have a banner there. So if you need to buy some, some, if you need to buy some equipment, you need to buy some grain. Yeah. Click on the link. And also if you want to buy a brew bag or sign up for brew father, all of those things help. So thank you so much for those of you who have, uh, somebody used the Adventures in Homebrewing link just last week. So I yeah, really appreciate whenever anybody does that. I guess let's let's just jump into the deep dive now. I think it's time and we will talk about some things that we can do to get set up to brew loggers. So in this deep dive episode, it's part of our beginner series where we kind of talk through the progression of going from the super beginner all the way to a much more advanced home brewer. And in this series, we're, we're kind of more on the let's start to get a little more advanced into our process. The reason I wanted to talk about brewing lagers is we are undergoing some changes here at homebrewing diy I've, I've brought on a couple of contributors we now have chino and we have ryan packmeyer who are pretty much going to be the in-house writers for homebrewing diy as far as article content goes we are we are going to focus a little bit more on trying to put out some articles that talk about homebrewing, not be 100% a podcast. I I think that that's just a natural progression. And I'm excited to have these kinds of conversations around some of the expertise of the people in my homebrewing circles and talking about how we can all together make better beers and be it equipment, we're going to talk about, obviously, homebrewing DIY, we're always going to talk about equipment, but even talking about processes. And so we actually this week released our first article in that series, and it was done by Ryan Packmeyer. And it was an article talking about making American Light Lagers. He's actually in the process of doing an entire series about Pilsners, right? So, sorry, American Pilsners, not American Light Lagers. There is slightly a a difference there but we are going to he, he's doing an entire series on pilsner so american pilsners german pilsners czech pilsners right there's there, there's so many different types of pilsners and he's going to write articles with recipes and history and background and really just kind of share his knowledge when it comes to the lager brewing that he's been doing for a long time so I thought it would be a great show to do where we would do a bit of a deep dive on from a beginner's perspective of not just the the kind of recipes but really just the the kind of equipment you would want to get as a beginner homebrewer but you want to get to a logger. And so let let's talk through that process. So right now when we think of where we are in our beginner homebrewer series we're we're now to where we're kind of brewing in a bag right and and we let, there there's a few different setups you could have there you could have an electric all-in-one brewery where you're either brewing like very similar to in a bag or you are officially you know you've got a a 10-gallon kettle or a 1-gallon you could be even doing 1-gallon batches the batch size doesn't matter but you you know you've got a burner And you're just brewing single vessel in a bag, right? But you want to get into doing something a little more advanced. And I think you're now ready to do a lager, right? Now, there's going to be some equipment things that you want to get. And obviously, we always talk about the first thing is going to be temperature control. And when we talk about lagers, I am going to start off talking about making a truly traditional type of logger, we can get into and we've done many shows where we've talked about different types of pseudo loggers, and i'll hit on those as well because maybe we don't have the money to be able to get all that kind of equipment and here's some some tricks to maybe get some logger like beers but we're going to start off talking about hey what kind of equipment do you need to do a real lager so the first thing you are need is you're going to need some sort of temperature control and and the reason is it becomes super important with lagers because it's just really difficult to get ambient temperatures at the lager fermenting temperatures. And a lot of it has to do with history. You know, Germans were kind of the first type of, uh, I would say, one of the first countries out there, if we look at the history of, of lager making, that were really making these cold fermented beers. And we've talked about it in other shows so for example we we did one on oktoberfest recently and 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 loggers were traditionally if we go back hundreds of years brewed in the winter months or the late winter months into the early spring and they were fermented in caves and the reason they were fermented in caves is obviously you know Germany has very cold winters. And if you left beer out to ferment in sub zero temperatures, you're not going to get very much action out there. It's just not going to work. So you could take your beer and put it into a cave. And no matter how cold it is outside, it's going to be the temperature of like the earth in a cave, right? Which is somewhere in the mid fifties. I think it's around 55 degrees is that ambient temperature. And, that is where they were getting the fermentation for these winter beers. They also came up with some yeasts that worked well in those temperatures. And I'm not gonna dive into like the history of where these yeasts came from. Let's just say you know they had yeast that fermented well in that same ambient temperature. Also, these yeasts were bottom fermenting yeast. So versus a top-fermenting yeast. So ales, which have probably been the most traditional type of beer brewed in the world, if we go all the way back in history, right? Ambient temperatures of just like whatever temperature it is in your house to kind of make a beer. Loggers needed this ambient temperature in the 50s Fahrenheit. And what it does is... That bottom fermented yeast is just also a different process, right? So a top fermented yeast is, and you'll hear people talk about top fermented versus bottom fermenting yeast. And really, that's the difference between like an ale and a lager yeast, right? An ale yeast, you'll see the action or the croissant from that fermenting action really happening at the top floating on top of the beer and that's really where you're getting a lot of action and the churning is coming from that fermentation process in a lager or a bottom fermenting yeast you will notice if you had a clear fermenter that a lot of the actions happening down at the bottom near the yeast cake right a lot of the yeast in a in a Lager fermentation is kind of settled down to the bottom. There's always a yeast cake even, you know, in a, you know, ale, but you see a lot more action in the fermentation happening on that yeast cake. And you, you kind of see the, the yeast kind of floating off the bottom and going into the beer and churning with it, but it's all kind of happening. And that action is at the bottom. So they call it a bottom fermenting yeast. And, It just has a very different flavor profile than what you get from ales. Obviously, we've all had a lager. We could talk about different styles. I'm a huge fan of European style lagers. For me, I love German styles or Bavarian style lagers. Things like Bach's, really, you know, like Maybach or uh, Doppelbach's. Just love those styles. Vienna lagers are also something I love, which is is. I just love Munich and, and Vienna malt. I, I like Munich Helles. I, I like kind of more malty forward, crisp, clean lagers. Those are kind of my style. Though I, I also love just a, a, a great hoppy Pilsner. So don't get me wrong. I just love all different styles of lagers as well. But when you think of lager and in your mind, it is a crisp, clean beer that when you drink it there's very little or no aftertaste the yeast is completely out of the way and you really just let whatever malt you're using that shines through whatever hops you're going to use they really shine through as well and that's really what you're kind of going for and so backtracking to what we were talking about we got to talk about the fact that you got to get some temperature control because we got to get that ambient temperature into that those, the, the 50 degree range, right? So yeast fermentation is going to happen s- slower, but anything above 40 degrees, you're actually going to get fermentation from yeast, right? It, it's going to happen, especially if, if you're looking at a bottom fermenting lager yeast. It will happen a lot slower, the colder it gets, and then once you get below that forty degrees, it kind of slows to a very, very slow crawl or re- essentially stops. When you cold crash a beer, you kind of stopping the fermentation in a way just by getting it chilled. Uh, a great example of this is when you're bottle conditioning. We all know this is that you wanna if you have a bottle, a few bottles you think are gonna get a little too fermented, you can just go throw them in the fridge, and it kind of you know stops the fermentation process happening in your bottle. This getting you that carbonation those are the kind of things that you can do because you know that you get the temperature down it stops but anything above 40 degrees there is something happening just be it more slowly and that's the same thing in the 50s right for example if you are fermenting in the mid 50s it's going to be a much slower fermentation than if you were fermenting something at 70 degrees and if we got into kviks and you're doing stuff at 85 it's going to happen even faster The cool thing about lagers, though, is that the yeast that they use here actually ferment pretty well. They do take a little longer to ferment usually, and you want to make sure things get fermented completely out. So they do take more time, but they actually function very, very well at these temperatures. You do have a couple of things, and when we get into pitch rates, we'll talk about them, but they are going to do well in the mid-50s when you're doing a fermentation. So let's talk about some of the equipment you got to get. Obviously when we talk about temperature control, you have to get a refrigerator of some sort. If you live in, I live in Denver, Colorado, summers are hot. Winters are super cold. It's pretty much never going to be 50 degrees in the ambient temperature consistently here. And so you have to at that point get some sort of temperature control and refrigeration. So, For example, I have a fermentation chamber, and I recommend getting some sort of fermentation chamber. But even if you're doing small one-gallon batches, you got to figure out a way to keep it in the 50s, right? And be it your fermentation chamber could be much smaller, but you still have to have some way of getting that consistent temperature to those those temperatures in the 50s and that's that's actually usually the barrier to entry for somebody that's going to be doing loggers is getting that that temperature control. You can do it for pretty inexpensive in non-pandemic years you can usually find uh, uh an old chest freezer or something like that. Those are always great exam- great uses for a fermentation chamber. That's what I do. I have a 7 cubic foot old chest freezer i have an inkbird controller on it or i've had ferment track on it right now i'm my ferment track is still not up and running so i am doing an inkbird controller today but it's going to work fine and if you an inkbird controller is about 30 bucks right so very very low buried entry to get it with some sort of good decent temperature control that's going to keep you in the range So you got a fermentation chamber, you're going to be able to maintain the temperatures that you need to do lagers and do them well. I think that that's the biggest piece of equipment. As as far as the hot side goes, you're not going to need to change much when it comes to the equipment you're already using to make ales, right? Uh, If you're making a lager type beer, the hot side generally is going to be pretty much the same. You're going to work on a recipe. You're going to mash. You're going to boil. We'll get into boil times and things like that, maybe a little later. But for the most part, the hot side process is generally going to be the same. It's really when it comes to loggers, the cold side. A couple of things I would point out that I would do with loggers is log. and, And these are kind of my tips process becomes a huge deal when we talk about loggers and even hot side process just all of your processes have to be really really worked out because a logger unlike an IPA you have nothing to hide behind in a logger even if it's a multi logger you don't have a much much to hide behind it because yeast doesn't really get in the way you're not talking about beers with really high IBUs, even hoppy lagers tend to still not have, you know, IBUs in the sixties and seventies, like IPAs do, or really hoppy pale ales. And so you, you, you kind of have to really have your processes down so that you know that everything going into this beer is going to be as it is going to have as a few off flavors as possible. That's what you're going for here. So, you're gonna go through, I, I would say do all of your hot side stuff, but do it very meticulously. And then once you actually get into the fermenter, there's a couple of tricks I'm gonna tell you with 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 loggers. First of all, pitch rate. You wanna have a much larger pitch rate when it comes to your yeast for a lager. It, be it liquid. Even if it's dry, you still want to have a really big pitch of yeast. And a lot of it has to do with lag type. We want, just like with an ale... And and this is a personal opinion. People will tell you differently. I mean, if you go talk to White Labs and they sell you a small vial of lager yeast, they're going to tell you that that's enough yeast to get a fermentation going. And it is enough yeast to get a fermentation going. But the big thing for me, when we're trying to minimize as many off flavors as we can, we don't want that yeast to stress in any way. The other piece is that we also want less lag time, right? Less lag time also means that you have less likelihood of contamination. Really, when we talk about sanitary versus sterile, when you know we, they always talk about sanitation, we're talking about doing a chemical sanitizer like Star sand or something like that. Well, sanitation is not sterile. Sterile means it is void of all living things, right? It's a sterile environment, but there are still living things even after you sanitize it. You're just getting the numbers down low enough that the yeast can outcompete those and win. It's like a battle, right? And so that's why, you know, sanitation is so important is so that we don't have some off flavors or a nasty wild bug that's going to outcompete your yeast. And so if you have less lag time, you also have less time for contamination. So a really large pitch is going to help because if we're going to ferment something in the 50s, we want to make sure that we are in a position to basically make sure that that fermentation still is going to start quickly. Now you can make a starter at yeast at ale temperatures to build it up. You don't have to like logger your starter. Your starter is just your yeast and you want to have it as healthy as, as it possibly can. And like any other yeast, it's going to grow faster and grow bigger. If it's a warmer temperature, you want to have a much larger pitch and there are tons of, calculators out there. There are pitch rate calculators and Brewfather and Beersmith. There's also some on the web. I know Brewer's Friend even has some. And Just in the future, with some of the changes we're doing, not today, but at some point, we are going to have calculators, things like pitch rate and, and ABV and calculators you can go to that are going to be in the homebrewing DIY site as well, just as resources for listeners and readers of the, of the website, but not today. So One thing is, is that Using a yeast pitch calculator is going to give you the amount of yeast that it feels you need to have to be able to to kind of get ready. And it's going to do it in things like billions of hundreds of billions of sales. I would say that when you look at a pitch rate, a, a normal vial of liquid yeast is going to come with 100 billion sales. And if you did a starter, you're probably going to give it a starter up to about... 200 billion cells right if you were let's say going for an ale or something like that i think 200 billion cells is a great pitch rate for your standard kind of ales for a logger i want at least 300 billion if not 400 billion cells going into it and these are can be pretty big you're probably looking at a couple liters of a liquid starter going into your beer but this is super important because like i said it's going to start your fermentation quicker it's going to have less likelihood of having that off flavor and it's also going to not stress the yeast out when you you throw it into a a cooler temperature and being able to have that growth phase ready to go and just start the fermentation. So you're going to have a much cleaner fermentation in doing so, which is what you're looking for at these low temperatures anyway. And one thing I want to talk about is what temperature are we going to pitch at? You'll see a lot of times on, on ale packaging. That it's like it'll tell you to warm up your beer into the 60s and pitch and then cool down to the 50s. The reason they're saying to do that is because they're giving you 100 billion cells and they want you to kind of start it up to there. You're kind of using your beer as a starter and bringing it down. That's going to work great, but that's just not the way I would make a lager. Personally, I would cool down to close to my pitch temperature, if not my pitch or I'm sorry, my fermentation temperature. The pitch temperature is the temperature you're going to pitch at. But I would I would try to get down to my fermentation temperature that I- if not a couple degrees below and warm up to the temperature I'm going to actually ferment at. So for example, if I f- were doing an ale and I'm going to ferment and I'm going to ferment at 68 degrees, I'm going to cool down to 66 degrees and warm up to 68. That's the same with a lager. If I'm going to do a lager at 55 degrees, I'll actually get it down to 53 and then warm up to 55. And the reason I want to do that is that warming is still going to get the activity going a little more, and it's just to be safe. Also, even in a any fermentation action is going to create some heat. And so having the yeast create the heat to get up to the temperature that you want is better than having it at the temperature you want and the yeast going above that temperature especially in lagers we're talking clean beers now you've got a fermentation chamber you've got temperature control you've got a large pitch of yeast going into it and you're doing good man you're ready you're making a lager right you're in the process now there there are all kinds of ways during this this process that you can do none of them are wrong So I wanna be very clear that none of them are wrong, but one thing you're gonna hear a lot of is let's get through the main portion of the fermentation and then warm up your beer into maybe the low 60s for a diacetyl rest to kinda get some of those off flavors. Now, diacetyl is a very, very common off flavor in lagers. The reason it's there is because you are fermenting cooler, and diacetyl is something where it's after the main fermentation is done, your yeast is going to go in and clean itself up is what they say. But it's actually just kind of clearing out the diacetyl. And whether it's at 55 degrees or 50 degrees, 49 degrees, 58 degrees, or 65 degrees, the yeast is eventually going to clean up its diacetyl. The thing is, is that if it's cooler it takes longer to get through all of your main bulk of fermentation, and it's going to take longer to get through the diacetyl. But what the theory is, is that in the main part of the fermentation, where you're getting your yeast growth and then the bulk of the fermentation, all of that is where your majority of your flavor is going to happen. And in the cleanup phase, you can up it into the 60s, clean up your diacetyl, and then, you know, slowly cold crash it down to a lagering temperature. And we'll get into lagering temps in a, here in a second. But for me, when I make lagers, and this is just a personal preference, I don't tend to do diacetyl rest. I, I want to be, I'm, I'm a much more patient homebrewer than I lead on because we've been talking about doing lager shortcuts a lot lately. But actually, when I make a lager, generally, I just wait. It, and I'll wait until the fermentation is completely done. I do taste it. I do a diacetyl test, which is really easy to do is you take a sample of beer, you put it into a small dish, you microwave it, get the beer warm. If you get it like, you know, really warm, like uh, above 60, 70, 80 degrees, close to even to 100 degrees, if there's diacetyl there, you're going to taste it. And and diacetyl has, it, its main flavor is like buttered popcorn or something like that. that that's the flavor you're kind of looking for. It's one of those things that once you taste it and know it, you know it forever and you never kind of forget it, but that's what you're looking for, right? And as long as you can warm up your beer and it doesn't taste like that, you know that the diacetyl is dissipated and you could start to finish your, into the process of getting into lagering, but that's really the process you want to get through. You got to get to your final gravity. You want to give the beer enough time to clean up all the diacetyl. And at that point, you're going to start to do what a a cold crash or cold storage. This is actually the lagering process, right? So a lager is actually a cool fermented, bottom fermenting beer, but it also has a lagering phase, and and it's a bulk storage phase where you're actually storing your beer at very, very cold temperatures. Now, there are different processes out there. I have one guy who's a, a very, very great, lager home brewer he's been on the show before and his name's jim and he was episode three and he makes pretty much nothing he makes sales but he generally makes a lot of lagers you know when he does a, a bulk age he croissons his beers and keeps them gets gets them and and actually does a bulk storage on yeast and, and to him, you know, that's his lagering process, right? There are other people and people like me, for example, I'm going to do a, a a a transfer of mine into a keg. I also ferment in kegs. So I would just do a, a pressure transfer over to another keg and I'm going to then do a bulk fermentation right then and there. And I'm going to keep this thing cold. Now, that's how I'm going to do it. If let's just say you've got some carboys or you have, you know, a standard fermenter, what I would tell you to do is you could rack it off into a secondary and then do that bulk aging. Or if you just want to do a cold crash onto the yeast and do a bulk fermentation, a bulk secondary, that that's fine that way as well. But the key here is cold temperatures, like one degree above freezing. You don't want to freeze your beer, but you want to get really close. And what this is this process is doing is it is getting your beer and all the proteins and the yeast to settle completely out of your beer. It's also just clarifying and you want to do this for a while. Traditionally, It was a months long process, right? So, for example, if you were looking at a a German lager brewery and they were in, in, in the traditional sense, they're making lagers, you know, the old way hundreds of years ago, you're going to find that they made beer in March and they drank it in October and it was in cold storage basically all summer long, right? And that process actually made this brilliantly bright, crisp, clean beer. And the reason that you get it so clear and clean is because you just give it time and, and on that cool, cool temperature. And this thing, your beers are going to be just crystal clear. You don't have to do any findings in them. If you, if you, if you gave them that much time, but the point is you're trying to get your beer to be bright and crystal clear. Now, what I personally do is if I'm going to logger a beer, I am going to look for at least a 30 day logging period. if not, And I've even gone as long as three months. Just when the beer's ready, it's ready. And also, I find mine. You know, when I go into that stage, I also am going to add, I find with gelatin You just take a quarter teaspoon of gelatin and a quarter cup of water, heat it up to about 150, 160 degrees so it dissolves well, and then I just pour that right in there. And gelatin's a great finding, and it's going to clear your beer out very quickly, but I still give it that time to really let the beer clear out. And in that process, you're going to now have a crystal clear beautiful lager that you're now able to either bottle and carbonate or you're able to put into a keg and carbonate. There's a couple of processes I talked about, things like spunding and croissening they are processes that are used a lot in German breweries. And basically those processes, and we've talked about them on the show before, are things like you're basically doing the very similar to like when you bottle and do a, a secondary fermentation. Very similar, except for you take a small piece of what they call green beer or that is uh, unfermented wort. And you actually add that back into your beer to carbonate your beer. And so essentially that is that green beer that's uh gives you the carbonation and that's a great process. It works really well. I, I do have friends that croiss in their beers. The other things that I see are people who do spunding and spunding is you wait till you have a couple of points and when you spun your beer, you basically just let the pressure build up, and that's how you carbonate. And you would still do your bulk storage that way. So there, there are different ways to get it carbonated, but those are things that I've seen as far as processes go for carbonation of loggers. Another thing that you could do, and, and a couple of processes in the logger, and, and these are all just very specific to the types of loggers that you're making, are... Things like step mashing and decoctions, right? A lot of traditional Czech beers and and German beers are going to do these processes. Now, none of these processes are necessary to make a lager, but if you feel that they are processes that are going to help you, Go right ahead and do them. I'm not going to dive too deep into what they are. I I think that they, obviously, step mashing is pretty easy. You just kind of stop at certain rest points throughout the mash process to try to get different sacrification levels during the entire uh, mashing process. But decoctions are something where you take a portion of your wort and you cook it. At you know and stir it so that it doesn't scorch and then add it back into your mash these things prolong the brew day uh, i have friends that do like double and triple decocted mashes and you're now looking at having brew days that can be as long as 10 or 12 hours so i'm not going to get super detailed into those but they are processes that you can do and there are things that are gonna you know uh, some some people swear by them and say that these are the things that they do to improve all of their lagers and you know that's up to you, and it's really just a thing of preference. You could do a lager as simply as doing a batch, brewing a bag, using lager yeast with temperature temperature control, giving it a lagering period, throwing it in bottles, and you're going to have a very, very good and passable lager. So don't think that there's processes that are, that are different than that. I, I have done lagers with a very similar process, and I have actually won metals that way so just don't think that there's any one way to make lagers there's there's as big of a world in the lager world as there is in the ale world when you start to think about you know different processes that you can get into another thing i i would point out in logger brewing is Sometimes during the fermentation process, a lot of times, actually, you're going to smell sulfur as part of it. If you're it, there, there are a lot of guys out there that I call them, uh, they're airlock sniffers, right? Uh, they, they like to just kind of smell the fermentation as it's coming out Fer- fermentation, as any of us know, has a smell and, when you're doing lagers, you'll sometimes get hints of sulfur in there. The cool thing about it is, is that th- that sulfur usually dissipates towards the end of the fermentation, and it's a good indicator of when your fermentation is done. But obviously, the, only, the best indicator is obviously taking your gravity reading, and, and that would be what I would recommend as well. And I, I think at a beginner level, that's where I would kind of say – that that's a good place to start with a lager. Now, I am going to talk about some recipes here real quick. Uh, but I'm not going to actually I, I think the best place to get a recipe right now if we're going to talk about some of the lo- lager recipes are if you go right now over to homebrewingdiy.beer. There's an article sitting there. It's called American Lager. It's it's right now uh the it's as we speak, as I'm recording this, it is the top post on the homepage and it'll probably be just the one right below this podcast episode and you could click onto there and there's going to be three great logger recipes and with all different processes and i think that that's a good place to start if you're looking for a great logger to start with also you know, lagers don't have to be hard. If, you, if temperature control is not something that's approachable to you, there's a couple options there. We talk about them in that article as well. Uh, a spunding valve is pretty inexpensive. You can get one for about 30 bucks on, on Amazon. And if you ferment in a keg, it's a great way to uh, ferment under pressure. That allows you to get lager beers using lager yeast but being able to ferment at, at ale temperatures, yet not having the same off flavors you would get from a lager yeast at normal ale temperatures without pressure. Uh, Dan Moore of New Order Lagers, who's been a guest on the show. The episode is called New Order Lagers. We do a deep dive on that exact process. So please go back and listen to that show. And... There's also obviously clean Kvikes out there that make great pseudo lagers and hybrid beers, which are, you know, things like the California Common, which are, or, or a Kolsch, which are basically using a lager yeast, but at more of an ale temperature, and you still get a crisp, clean beer. So there, there are different types of ways of getting those clean beers, and you don't necessarily have to have temperature control. It may not be exactly the perfect, you know, Doppelbach, German-style br- done in the traditional way but you know what in the end it's home brewing and we have to brew with what we have and sometimes you know people don't always have the money to go out and buy and shell out 200 bucks on a chest freezer for a fermentation chamber uh there's just I, i get that and so there are there are other ways to get lager like beers as well and and to me there's no wrong way i i just that that's a true philosophy with me and brewing so I think that that's a good enough deep dive at this point because uh, I've been rambling on this one for about close to 40 minutes now and uh, we still got to jump into feedback. So we'll take a quick break. We'll, we'll do, and then we'll come back and do feedback and then uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do that. So, Hey, thanks for being on the journey with me on the beginner's guide to loggers and you know, love to hear your feedback of maybe what your first logger was like, or if you're planning on doing a logger, what what are you thinking? And what what, what do you think your process is going to look like that? That would be some great feedback. I'd love to hear from someone. And so, you know, keep an eye out for those emails. That's a podcast at homebrewingdiy.beer or or just go to homebrewingdiy.beer and use the contact us form and fill that out goes to the same place. But uh, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back for feedback. All right, and we're back and it's now time to dive into some feedback. Our, our first piece of feedback is from John Marriott. And here's what John had to say. Hi Coulter, I'm riding from the UK and new to homebrewing. I just found your podcast and listened to a few episodes whilst sitting in the indoor bike trainer. Very easy to listen to and very informative. Just finished your episode on All grain boil in a bag. And I've read a few articles and I was left scratching my head more with more questions than answers. You made it much simpler to understand. So thank you. Bye for now. Off to look for a 10 gallon pot and a nylon bag. So, Hey, John, congratulations on going all grain. I think that that's, you know, brewing a bag is a great way to go all grain. It's just, it makes it so much more approachable. And I'm a big advocate for the style though, you know, whatever style you're, anyone's going to do be it three vessel or batch or batch barging, all of them work. But the point is brewing a bag is, is the way I do it. I like to keep things simple and uh, congratulations. I excited to possibly see some of the beers that you're going to make and always love hearing from our friends in the UK. Uh, Just, just uh, kind of, Info on the podcast, I I have quite a big following in the UK, and I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, and so uh, when I look at the percentages all globally, I, I'm surprised at how many of, of our friends and our homebrewing friends from Australia and the UK listen. And I got to admit, and please, guys, hold me to this. I need to get better at talking about not only imperial measurements, but metric measurements. And really, I should just have a chart here while I'm recording so that I can look at it at a glance and convert because I know I have a big enough following that I should be talking about things in metrics versus gallons. Though he did uh, humor me and say it was a 10-gallon pot. I, I will say a 10-gallon pot is probably pretty close to about a 40-liter pot, just uh, to throw that out there. Uh, not exact, but pretty close. So thank you so much for the feedback. I really, really appreciate it, John. Our next piece of feedback is going to come from Mark Dominic. And this is a short one. He just says, Hey, with a little wavy hand, I'd like the New England IPA and culture recipes. I appreciate the podcast. Great work. So Mark, I I do want to say that, uh, let's just talk about, a couple of these recipes and how I would make one. So for me, a new England IPA, if I were to make one today, this is pretty much what I think my recipe would look like. Obviously I would use as a base malt Pilsner. I would do about 70% Pilsner. And then I, eh, I would do pro yeah, 70% Pilsner. Um, I would then do a 10% of oats. If I were to, you know, think of processes, 10% oats, flaked oats. And then I would do a 20% of white wheat. That would be my grist. Right. And, And I would have that in there. Uh, from there, I'm gonna, you know, obviously build a water profile and I'm gonna, kind of juice it up pretty hard i'm going to use a lot of chloride i'm also going to just based on some some new information i got from my brandon caps episode i'd also you know kind of add some more sulfates in there as well and one thing he talks about in there is to you know you can get pretty high i'd go for a couple hundred parts per million on both of those and then i would also from there add you know all of pick a two hops it, it doesn't matter i would go with like you know citrine mosaic let's use that for an example right and if we we're going to do that in a new england ipa what i would then do is i would do a a 60 minute mash i would then get into my boil and once i got into my boil i would then do a hop stand now if i were going to make a new one right now in my hop stand i would actually start i would actually do a hop shot in my hop stand and do that as my as my kind of whirlpool hop addition. I'd do that for I'd sit there and hold that for 20 minutes. And then I would do a dry hop, but I would actually you know pitch my yeast. I would use a London 3 ale and then I would do when the fermentation's finished I would transfer from my keg right that I'm fermenting in and I would transfer into a clean keg. And in that clean keg, I would do a dry hop for, I just do one day and I would actually chill the beer down into the fifties before I did the dry hop. And I would do uh, a single day with a probably five or six ounce dry hop of three ounces of Citra, three ounces of Mosaic. And then I would, you know, pull that out and, uh, or uh, I would yeah pull that out by transferring into another kegs so we've now got three vessels and then I would so we we can keep the oxygen out and really be focused on that cold side oxygen and I would then put that in to my carbonation and then I would be drinking it that that would be my process today and uh man uh you know maybe even figure out a way to get a hop extract that was maybe tarpene focused that would be really cool because that that's kind of a thing right now so if i were going to make a new england ipa that's what that would look like if i were going to make a kolsch kolsch can be pretty easy I, i would do a a a really nice uh malt bill pilsner i would add a little bit of uh some some, maybe some Munich or Vienna. I, I love both of those. And I would, and it, it's really a great way to kind of make a, a simple beer like that, very complex. Um, I would use also a noble German hops, maybe some Hallertau, uh, something like that. And then I would just pitch some Kohl's yeast in there. I would do in the, in the recipe, I would do, let's say, I would do 70%. I'd do 80% of a base malt like Pilsner. And then I would do 10% in Munich and and maybe 10% in a little bit of Vienna and in lighter Munich, not the darker Munich's. And then from there, I would do a 60-minute boil of about an ounce of Hollertau. And then I would also add another half ounce of Hollertau probably in the last 5 or 10 minutes of the boil. And, and that would be, it. and then I would pitch, uh, a, a good, p- good pitch of, of cold cheese. I fermented it at about 65 degrees. And, uh, when, when it's all done, get it carved up and that would be a great beer super. And I'm sure it'd be super clean too. So, uh, that would be my Colch recipe. So, uh, I don't know that, uh, you know, if, if anybody else has some ideas, love to hear them, but that's, that's pretty much what I would make. And, uh, all right, uh, let's, let's just, uh, now wrap the show up well i'd like to thank everyone for sticking around and digging through this deep dive with me on brewing loggers for beginners i think that uh I'm excited about also some of the changes that are happening here at Homebrewing DIY. So stick around, read an article or two. I'm pretty excited about it. We're going to have tons of recipes as well. So very, very excited about some of the changes. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Just look for at Homebrewing DIY, all one word. And love to hear from you. That's it for this week. Talk to you next week on Homebrewing DIY.